This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. G'day and welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national and international news, interviews and the latest new releases brought to you by NPR, Battle 2 People's Radio. G'day and welcome to Metal 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. This week we were lucky enough to talk to Blake from the band Needless Cane. Uh, we have such a good talk that it actually has to cover two sections of the show. So that's absolutely bloody awesome. So first off we're going to have a track called Fire at the Theatre, which is um, the main reason why we were actually talking to Blake, because he's just released the video for this, but we'll talk about that in the... Um, interview so here's first off the track fire at the theater and then we'll get straight into the interview the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly
G'day, we're talking with Blake from the band Needless Cane. They've just released their newest video just yesterday, Fire at the Theatre. Um, you released it at 3.33, or oh, 3 in the afternoon, 3.33. Um, was there any significance to that number, Blake? Uh, it's a bit of a just an inside joke, uh, half evil, you know, 3.33. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a bit hard to do. The time frame was 6, 6, 6 p.m., but um, it makes sense in Australia. T- it takes it away when you're in other countries. So uh, 333 just worked perfectly for Australia, and the song is all about fire and uh, duality, and uh, half my face is almost like half burnt off as well in the uh, video, as well as I did a photo shoot that was the same kind of significance. So it's almost like, you know, half. Half and half. Plus, oh, I that, that's clever. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's also uh, interesting because I did um, work on a recent song, uh, which is fairly new, new lyrics, but there's no music to it yet. It's, I think, uh, the title is um, what is it called? Uh, I have got the title. It's not really a working one, but I think it was um, uh, halfway to hell, and uh, and that kind of um. Some of the lyrics, it's like, uh, I'm not good, nor am I evil. So I'm kind of playing in between with the duality of good and evil and that kind of song and half and half. And also being a Gemini, that works with it too. <laughs> oh, yes, Geminis are definitely interesting. Oh, mate, that's absolutely brilliant. So um, could you tell us about doing the video? I mean, because uh, from our understanding, this is uh, you've, it's in Melbourne that you did all the filming and all that. Mm. Uh, so I, I was working with Mark Bacatus. Um, he and I did the first two music videos. So not, um, I think it was a ghost, uh, not ghost of suburbia, excluding that one. Um, we did Goddess of the Black Moon, which was the first music video I did with him in 2018, I believe. And uh, I think the first single for Red Masquerade, which was Demons are a girl's best friend, and then Fire at the Theater, which is the third uh, song. Um, it was interesting because I knew he wanted to do a video with me last year, um, and he sent me some photos of this abandoned church, and he just thought it would be great to do film in that church. And um, I was just saying oh, I was a bit unsure with where everything was going. And then um, we started talking about it nearing the end of the year, coming into this year and we started planning it out and I said to him I wanted it to be more about the the theatre side of the album instead of the uh, occult and uh, secret society part of things um, like what Demons and Goddess had even though there are still some elements of uh, a black mass or a cult in the fire of the theatre it's definitely more focused on the um, theatrical side of things, especially like films like uh, Mask of the Red Death uh, and also Phantom of the Opera as well. Excellent. So when it comes to doing these videos, um, and you've talked about working with this one particular guy, um, how does that work? Do you go to him with some ideas for what you want to do with it or does he come to you with ideas? I mean, do you go to him with a song and say, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this? How does that collaborate? I mean, do you get to collaborate with that? And how much of your input do you get? I think um, if we're going to 
start with that, you definitely want to go with the first music video he and I worked on, which was Goddess of the Black Moon. Um, I remember just asking, seeing, uh, putting my feelers out there in Melbourne, seeing who did music videos, who was a director. Um, I had an idea in my head for that music video. Um, and then I remember Mark approaching me, sending me an email um, on Facebook. And then we kind of, he sent me, uh, some, I think a trailer for his film called Cult Girls. So this is before the film was released. And I just absolutely loved the uh, the trailer, just the trailer alone. So I even, um, when I saw the film, the film's also phenomenal as well. Uh, he released it, I believe. Uh, I think it wasn't last year, definitely not last year. I believe it was 2019 he released that. Um, so, and I sadly missed out on the... Um, the uh when they had the release in melbourne because i had to work that night um but otherwise that's how it started and there was just a lot of symbolism he had the cinematography the way it looked um just suited the goddess of the black moon idea i had and then of course going from that music video we worked on demons are a girl's best friend which had a very I think I had an idea in my head and then he expanded upon that. So with Fire the Theater, it definitely was the same thing. I would send him the song, um, tell him some of my ideas, and then he would expand upon that and then just create something insane. So uh, I think I did say to him, I want Fire to be in this one and because <laughs> um, <laughs> it just would work and... There was a lot of fire, and in the uh, church, we used the uh, one of those red flares, and um, to create the kind of like the implication there was fire. So we didn't actually want to set the church on fire, even though that would be quite uh, controversial. And people <laughs> would be like, oh no, actually setting churches on fire, but we used the red flare to kind of show that we it may be on fire. And it's kind of funny because I run. I actually set it off and I'm hiding in this little alcove area. And then when it's going off, I'm, I run out cause I'm holding my breath and I'm coming out of the um, area right in front of the camera. He says, go back in there. I go back in there and he's just, Oh, can you like move it around? And I accidentally, cause I've got my eyes open, the, uh, goes into my eyes. So when oh. I come out the second time, I'm actually blind. <laughs> oh, wow. So I'm just kind of like, I can't even see. So I'll just do whatever. <laughs> but um that, that's what happens you sacrifice you hurt yourself for the price of art i guess that's what happens <laughs> oh man that's absolutely brilliant i mean it must be a lot of fun doing these videos and i mean i've looked back on some of your other videos previous to the uh goddess of the moon and, and um, demons and i mean you've always had quite some, some pretty high production values and yeah i mean some cool stories and visuals in there it's just, um, I like the idea of just uh, being a little bit creative when it comes to videos. And I also give a lot of um, freedom to the director I'm working with because that's, you know, you're collaborating together. So I think it's it's good to see their vision um, work with your own. And um, I think a lot of the time that I've worked with people, they've actually uh, took what ideas I've had and they've just made it even better. I think um, one of the people 
I worked with was for the Hemlock Lemonade music video back in 2012. It was with uh, Freya McLeod. And um, I remember submitting to her a, a long, long script. And she jokingly said to me, this is like a 45-minute film. <laughs> <laughs> just, just because sometimes some of the ideas I get in my head are just... It's just like all over the place. It's a bit. I'm a bit of a crazy person when it comes to um, thinking with uh, that. So she was able to take it down and shorten it. So we turned it more into a crazy tea party. And you know, she took all the best parts and made it work better than what my idea was. My idea was just like you're doing this, 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 and this, and like ten things happening at once. So. <laughs> It's good that there is people. There are people like that because I don't think um, uh, if I were to try to have my, if I went a hundred percent with what goes on in my head, it might be, you know, ten <laughs> hours. It might be the Zack Snyder of all music videos. But <laughs> <laughs> well, also, won't, it also won't make sense. So it might be a bit like if you've seen the uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky films, um, The Holy Mountain. So people would just get confused and or traumatized depending on that <laughs> oh man that's awesome very cool so th- the last album you put out was the, the red masquerade in 2020 um and from my understanding and talking to some other people it's it's, it's concept album right mm-hmm. that's correct yeah so could you tell us a little bit about the story for those that have maybe missed out on or not picked up on some of that so uh, the Red Masquerade, um, I came up with some of the ideas for it um, not that long after Goddess of the Black Moon. Um, so I was originally going to do a music video for the song Solipsism, but then I started just having these really cool ideas in my head. Um, I started binge-watching um, quite a few different versions of Phantom of the Opera, Um And then there was a couple images I used to see. I think it was one of the, I think it may have been the 2001 version of Phantom of the Opera that I came across where you see this, um, they're having this masquerade party and the Phantom comes in. He's all just in red, looks, got this deaf looking mask. But the most symbolic one of that is the original one where he's got a big, terrifying outfit, quite imposing. And then. I started getting into the idea of that character of the Red Death. And then um, being a fan of uh, Vincent Price and um, Edgar Allan Poe, I re-watched uh, Mask of the Red Death, which had the, the version with Vincent Price in it. And I just loved a lot of the ideas and concepts behind that. So I think from then I started working on a couple of songs, but that's before I even had the title in mind. So when it came to... I think I originally wrote 14 titles and I had a couple random bits and pieces of notes of lyrics all over the place. Hmm. And uh, I remember just submitting it to Jeremy and saying, I've got this idea in my head. So Jeremy Garner is the guy I collaborate with on these albums. So I remember sending it through to him and telling him, I've got this idea for a new album. Let's do it. Sent him all the titles, so unlike Sick World, which was the album before Red Masquerade, he's 
where we both were testing the waters, see what worked, um, working on these songs. He had a whole list of, I think, 12 songs because I cut it down to 12 songs. And he was um, working around the titles. <laughs> and I then said, yep, that will be the album. Here's the themes, each of the themes for the albums, um, each of the themes for the each song. And then he was just interpreting what he saw in the titles. And then he would submit it to me. I'd have a listen to it, see if it worked. And then we'd just go back and forth that way. But it was quite different um, because with that album, I already had the concept in my head and ideas in my head of how I wanted um, the album to go. And before I even thought of the title, I didn't go up the title until nearing the end when I just thought, and this is called The Red Masquerade. Excellent. Uh, it must be cool to have that uh, that relationship developed with Jeremy. I mean, uh, being the, the second album, and I mean, was it much different around? I mean, it, it's got to have been easier at least. Oh, it, it definitely. Well, it definitely was easier. But um, I think uh, between he and I, we both collaborate. We both work really well together. Uh, one of my best friends, Mister Logan, said to me, "You know, you two gel really well." And Jeremy has had a history with um, doing shows with uh, Needless Kane back in, I think, 2008, 2009. And um, so he's actually played live uh, on stage with us um, back when I had a live band. Um, he's a phenomenal guitarist, and um, I always praise him when uh, I hear him doing some guitar tunes and guitar solos. So I think... Um, one of the songs I first heard was Ghost of Suburbia with his guitar solo. And I remember hearing that and I got the chills because yeah. just how epic his um, guitar skills are in that song is just phenomenal. And um, and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's magical. That's absolutely brilliant. So on a slightly sort of weirder note, but, well, it might come out weird, but I, I always try to wording this question is quite difficult but um how does the music come to you um how do you uh i mean like everybody um has music delivered or, or the way that they hear or see people see music people hear music um people just get lyrics how is it the music comes to you personally mm. um i think i've just been very fortunate with people i've worked with over the years who have just kind of been able to interpret what I think I would want it to be in music musically um, from working with uh, Jeremy, working with um, the live band I had with uh, Morgan, Emlyn, Ruby. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to collaborate with people who I think could understand me in a musical uh, way that I couldn't quite interpret myself, even though it would work to what my lyrics are. And I think a lot of them could get what the lyrics were, or they would look at the titles or they would just, I think they just understood it. So it's just, we've all, the people I have worked with, it's always been very good chemistry though. I have um, occasionally when we have hired other people, uh, especially early days, um, you could definitely tell there was, you couldn't gel with that person. Um, it was very, very difficult, but the majority of the time, it's been very. I've been very fortunate with um, certain people I've uh, been able to collaborate with and just jam with, and um, you know, I think even 
when it was back in the day when me and the band would just, you know, we would get some, you know, fish and chips and beers and we would just be jamming. And most of the time that's all it really was. And we were just enjoying, just like chilling out and there was no expectation. And same thing when I'm collaborating with Jeremy, it's there's no expectation. I always say no need to rush um, and just let's just enjoy it. We're, uh, do what feels right to you. And I think even with when we were working on the uh, recent album, there was a lot of interesting things that happened. So you've got songs like Who Killed the Phantom? And when we finished the music to that song, um, I, I saw a, I think it was on MSN, it was about a uh, Broadway actor who hung himself in um, Central Park, I believe, in America. And the thing was, he actually played the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera play. So oh. I just found it quite unique that that happened. And then we had a song called Who Killed the Phantom? <laughs> um, so there's a lot of interesting things that also happen. So it's not, and I think kind of like that translate to when we're working on a song at the same time, it kind of turns into something strange and uh, just bizarre. And I know a couple of times um, Jeremy said he got haunted. Uh, I think he showed me a photo where he had three scratches on his, I think, by his shoulder. Um, after doing Ghost of Suburbia, and it was after um, one of the lyrics I say, which is, uh, "We, um, I think we're behind you. And he just, he woke up one morning and he just said, yeah, he had these scratches and uh, it was pretty demonic. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's got to freak your heart out. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, um, it, it's for, for me, I, I embrace a lot of that stuff. So it's not really something that probably would affect me, but I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, I kind of feel bad. There's always Jeremy getting affected by it and <laughs> I'm not really affected by anything like that. Maybe, you know, maybe musically I'm creating curses without knowing it. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, maybe you need to have, some people need to be cursed. Um, anyway. Um, so what would you say, um, is your favorite track or the one that you're most proud of off the Red Masquerade? Um, that's, I would definitely say Ghost of Suburbia. Um, there's one of my favorite songs. I even was pretty vocal with it being my favorite track. Um, I feel like that captures a lot of the essence of what uh, Needless Can used to be back with the band and that, plus with the newer stuff that me and Jeremy have worked on. So it's kind of like a mix of all of that. Um, and Jeremy said it at best, it's an anthem of darkness. Um, and I agree. Um, it's just got such cool uh, guitar riffs and the guitar solo, and it's just got a really fantastic beat. So um, I think it could also be contended with Fire the Theatre as well, which was, of course, the recent um, song, yep. um, just because it was, I remember just being, it was quite different when I first heard it to anything we had previously done. And um, it was quite interesting uh, recording the vocals to it because I wanted to experiment differently with the vocals. And even Jeremy was surprised that I was like singing a little bit higher than I usually do since most of the time I always sing in a baritone kind of yeah. vocal time. 
Yeah, I noticed that. I found it quite interesting too. I thought it was quite cool. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. And welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national, and international news, interviews, and the latest new releases brought to you by NPR, Battle 2 People's Radio. Okay, we're about to have the second section of the interview, but first off, we're going to play another track from Needless Kane. First off, we're going to have the track. Kill Your Ego off the Sick World album. Then we will have the interview, and after that, we're going to have two more tracks with Goddess of the Black Moon and Ghosts of Suburbia. Wanna be 
obsolete You were jaded and obsolete 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 the the release of the new video and all that um with the band i mean are you always writing or is is that something that you go through the process of releasing all the stuff once that's all out there and you've done all the videos and all that then you move on to the next project or are you always writing um well i think sick world there was a lot of lyrics for that that i already had done that was meant to go with the band like songs like identity identity crisis and kill your ego um they were already songs i had in mind and was working on and was hoping to submit them with the band but then i put them to sick world and um, me and jeremy worked on them and i think when i finished sick world i think even before sick world was finished i was working on demons and um demons are a girl's best friend and another track which later became Pariah Babylonia. And I was already working on two tracks before Red Masquerade was even a thought. And um, I just didn't really want to put, um, especially Demons, with, um, because I couldn't record um, Demons during the Sick World sessions because I destroyed my microphone that I had um, because it was just a cheap microphone that I bought from JCAR and... It just gave me grief during the entire recording. So near the end of it, I just destroyed it. Threw it down a, um, I think like a, a shaft outside my apartment. Here it's <laughs> from the bottom. But um, so that was always on my mind. So I keep that song in the background. And I think when it came to Red Masquerade, it just happened all of a sudden. So after Goddess of the Black Moon, as I said earlier, I was meant I had the plans of wanting to do another music video from Sick World, but then I just lost. I just kind of got more invested in this new idea in my head and wanted to start working on the new songs. And that's when I included some of the older stuff that I already was working on. So it does depend. I mean, I've already got, a couple new tracks at the moment um, that I've been working on. Um, as I said before, one of the songs I've been working on is Halfway to Hell. Um, I've got another song that I've been working on fairly, I think probably since last year, really, um, which is very anti-cancel culture. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's basically uh, me just telling a lot of people who have that mindset to cancel everything just to get fucked. And this is what the kind of song is working around. And I think I call that one uh, natural born victims. (laughs) Nice title. (laughs) So it also plays into um, one of my favorite films being uh, natural born killers. So I figured I'd call it natural born uh, victims. So basically it's a big, 
it's a basically big fuck you to all of that lot who just embrace that kind of weird ideology of just wanting to cancel everything and kill art as far as I'm concerned. Oh, that's right. Uh, and it's just getting too, too, it's going too far. It's, it's yeah, uh, the, the line's been crossed way too, too early. Um, anyway, we haven't got long with you left. So, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, because uh, you used to live here in Wellington in New Zealand, and then you moved over to Melbourne. Um, so what's the scene like over there? Is it, I mean, is it much different there than it is here in New Zealand? And, and how have you found it so far? Well, I mean, I'm, I've, I've probably become more of, um, of a hermit here. Um, I, I barely <laughs> go out much. But from what I have seen, it is because Melbourne is very similar to Wellington. Um, very, very similar, but it's bigger. Um, it's bigger events. Um, you go to the golf events, it's 10 times more people. Um, metal events, they've got a club called Ragnarok, and it's just where they play all the classic metal songs. So it's definitely more vibrant. But with that said, I know that Wellington was pretty good when you had venues like the Hala. Um, but I would just say that I think there's just more activity going on here because there's more of a scene, this bigger scene here from the events I have gone out to and the places I've seen. Excellent. So um, are you going to be looking at doing any live shows or getting out there and, and playing some of this stuff live, or are you, um, is that on hold at the moment? How, how are you moving um, that way? It is um, still on hold. I think... If we didn't end up in, uh, if it wasn't for this coronavirus and lockdowns, um, I did have plans of wanting to do a couple live shows here in Melbourne um, and probably even one a one-off show in Wellington with Jeremy. And um, we would have played the first two albums. So it would have been Sick World and uh, Red Masquerade. So that was always on the agenda. But it would have been a, quite a different type of show instead of what I had done with the band. It would have been probably more of a um, stage show, like a theatrical performance. But with, you know, you would have had a, I would have had um, lighting, certain type of lighting, smoke machines, naked girls, you know, cats, dogs, who knows. I would have just had some crazy stuff um, on stage and, I would have loved to include fire, but I knew that certain places can't have that happening. Um, so I might have had to just create some weird little um, video flames. But, <laughs> yeah. um, it would have been different to what I had done with the band, and it would have been more about the stage show than the just getting together with a band and playing live, even though me and the band always were pretty theatrical, but we were also very crazy as well on stage. Um so it's still doing a live show is still in the mind in my mind, but I just have to wait and see how everything pans out here, especially in um, Melbourne since Melbourne is notorious for getting locked down all the time. So <laughs> yeah, well that's sort of that it. I mean, you guys seem to have escaped it at the moment with New South Wales seeming to have a little bit of problem, but um, yeah. I mean, I mean, well, I hope that those plans that you have um, come into fruition because it'd be absolutely fantastic to have you back over here in Wellington. And that show sounds awesome, man. I mean, nothing beats going to a theatrical rock show, man. <laughs> it's, it's it, really would, cool. it would be 
it would be very uh, inspired by Alice Cooper's stage performance. So, you know, he, he was very theatrical. I remember seeing him in Wellington, which was awesome. Incredible for his age. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's it. I've seen him twice here in Wellington. And man, both times he was just amazing. And that's it hit for his age. That's it, eh? I mean, it's, it's amazing, eh? He's freaking awesome. I mean, but that's it. I mean, a lot of these artists, uh, and that's it. These guys are artists, and they've been doing it for so long. Yeah, I mean, they they just, it's, you know, like second instinct to them, and, 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 you know, they don't miss a heartbeat. It was crazy just going on that theme, and I'm sorry I'm going to rant for a moment. But um, I went to see um, Neil Young play one time, and he played for like about three and a half hours. Now I'm going to embarrass myself here and say I went to a Disturbed show and Disturbed only played for like an hour and a quarter. And it was like, dude, who's put it on the show here? Definitely wasn't Disturbed. <laughs> you know, and that's no, it, yeah. I, I find that that happens with a lot of artists, sadly. Yeah. I think they're just, you know, even, even I'm like that. So I don't like to do long shows. Yeah. I remember that like every time I used to say to the band, I don't like to do live shows. Let's keep it short. They'd always want to be doing 12 songs. And I'm like, let's keep it short. Do nine or eight. And also, I hated playing last. because like, I'd prefer to play in the middle. I yeah. don't like playing things. I don't like playing last. So always in the middle. I think uh, anyone who plays in bands in Wellington or Christchurch knows it's better to play in the middle than first to last. That's right. Oh, mate, that's awesome. Well, I've, I think I've got about a minute left with you, so I've got one last question before we let you go, and that is words of advice for young musicians. Uh, <laughs> I just do what you want to do. Don't let anyone else tell you that you can't do it. Just be yourself and say, fuck everyone else. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, mate, that's absolutely brilliant advice, Blake.
fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national and international news, interviews and our latest new releases brought to you by NPR, Battle 2 People's Radio. And for this section we were lucky enough to talk to Steve D from the band Buck Cherry. But first we're going to have the track that made them very famous, the track Lit Up. Uh, then we'll get straight into the interview with Steve D.
she's been waiting A job of line for the fiending man Cause he wants one You know, you know you got to Can you feel it, can you feel it tonight Are you alone, tell me are you fucking high In the moment you are just so Talking to CVD from the band Buck Cherry. They're about to release their newest album, June 25th, the, band, the album Hellbound. Uh, this is the band's ninth album and Stevie's seventh album with them. How are you going today, Stevie? I'm uh, fantastic. Uh, it's a uh, beautiful day here in Um, 
So, it, it, especially for rock, uh, in the States, it's just not as big as it used to be. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we still have a career, and we're still going strong. Well, you guys put out a fabulous rock and roll album, and it's, it's absolutely killer. I've been lucky enough to have a listen to it uh, since yesterday, and do it's absolutely killer, mate. Some very cool tracks on there. Um, so, um, excellent, mate. Could you tell us a little bit about the writing and recording process? Because I understand it was Josh and you doing a lot of the writing. Yeah, um, the way the process started in 2020, when quarantine happened, uh, we started, uh, we, we just, we needed something to keep us busy uh, with all the turmoil going on in the world, and we were, uh, we were stuck at home, we were told to be inside, so what we did was we just started writing uh, with no end goal in mind.
Okay, that's cool. So, so when the music comes to you for sort of like when you're writing your own stuff on that, um, is it something where you, you might just hear a guitar melody or do you hear a, 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 a rhythm or how, how does the music come to you? really cool to, to have that evolution eh? and to um, 
to go back and, and discover those roots of music. I mean, it's all cool to, to get into the latest heavy metal or the latest rock and roll, but man, some of that old stuff, <laughs> you just can't go wrong, can you? Yeah, and the lyrics reflect that too. But 
uh, you know, that, that does show the maturity. I mean, she's got, you guys have got nine albums behind you now. I mean, <laughs> and, and a lot of times fans don't get that far. <laughs> coming through um, and especially in those latter tracks uh, I, I've enjoyed that very much you know, especially I mean because you look back at in the history of Bacteria and you look at those first singles that you guys released um, and that, that, that was a you know they were party songs and then to come to and you're still kind of at that but, you, but you, you're definitely coming through with some more serious stuff and you know I mean it's a good. I mean, it's good to have that 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 you know party attitude, but at the same time, you know, as you grow up, you know, you want to show that you know you're growing up as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we'll see how it all goes. I'm, you know, I'm hopeful. 
Oh, mate, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, in Australia and New Zealand, they're definitely opening up some business, so we'd love to have you back down here again. Yeah, I do love going out there, and it really feels like, uh, and, you know, those, that area of the world gets called Sherry and what we're about. Yeah. And uh, we just want to bring that rock and roll back as soon as we can. Oh, mate, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, I've only got a moment left with you, so I've got um, one last question for you before we let you go, and that is uh, words of advice for young musicians. this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate g'day and welcome to battle to metal metalheads radio local national and international news interviews and the latest new releases brought to you by NPR, Battle of Two Peoples Radio. And for this section, we were lucky enough to talk to Gilby Clark. He was uh, famous for Guns N' Roses and also his own solo stuff. Uh, that's why we're talking to him today, is he's just releasing, or just released a new solo album. So, first off, we're going to play a track from that. Uh, this also features Nicky Six on bass, uh, the track Tightwad. Uh, then we will have the uh, interview with him, and then we will have another track, Rock and Roll is Getting Louder. <laughs>
God. G'day, we're talking with Gilby Clark, uh, a guitarist extraordinaire, about to release his newest solo album, The Gospel Truth. Uh, well, actually, sorry, he's just released it April the 23rd, so it's been out for about two weeks. How are you going today, Gilby? I'm doing great, Terry, man. Good to talk to you. Absolute pleasure, mate. So, this will be your first solo album in uh, nearly 20 years. Um, you must be excited to give, have that happen. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of answers to that question of why it's been that long. <laughs> One of them was, I never really intended to be a solo artist. You know, so it's not like I thought, oh, i got to put a record out every couple years and tour. I think the solo projects was I did when I wasn't doing my other stuff. So I kind of just, I didn't really realize so much time had went by. And then a friend of mine kind of, you know, said, you know, you haven't made a record in a long time. And kind of like woke me up and I said, you know what, you're right. I better get my ass to work. <laughs> so, you know, that started the process. But it's not like I wasn't doing anything in that break. You know, I had, a, you know, worked with a couple bands, produced a lot of records, you know, did a lot of touring. Just, you know, the solo records just weren't coming out. So but I think it helped me to take a break and really concentrate because uh, I mean I think the record came out great I'm, I'm extremely happy with it I think it sounds good oh it's a killer album mate absolutely killer album you've done really well it's very cool to hear you again I mean, I remember listening, well, actually, to go way back into the annals of history, I mean, I remember finding the Kill for Thrills album, um, and then... Wow, and you go back. <laughs> oh, I do, I remember, this. I'm in New Zealand, we had like a, um, like at a conference centre, they had somebody come through with a whole lot of tapes, it was like a big tape sale, and I remember finding that one, buying it, taking it home, and it was like, dude, and then... It wasn't so long after that that you had your other band that you got involved with, which we don't really need to get into. Um, and then, um, so it was like, wow, I've already heard of this guy. And then Pawn Shop Guitars, absolutely brilliant album as well. So, I mean, I understand, I mean, you've been a busy man since then. Yeah, well, like I said, I, you know, I didn't really want a solo career. You know, it just kind of happened, you know, like... When I made the first record, Pawn Shop Guitars, it was just because Guns N' Roses was taking a break at the time. I mean, I was very much in the band when I started that record. All the guys in the band are on the record. It wasn't until the record was done that, you know, there, there was a little friction in the band about the direction of the band. So that's when I started getting busy. You know, I did a, a full tour with Pawn Shop Guitars, and then the next year I did Snake Pit, and then after that I went back to another solo record. So Pawn Shop Guitars was the start of it. And like I said, it just kind of takes you where it takes you. I, I'm not the kind of person that sits down and plans everything out. You try to do everything, you know, with integrity. You know, and I've always, it's, that's been important to me. If I'm doing something, I want it to be good. I want it to be the best that I can do at that time. Otherwise, when you start putting out a lot of crap, you know, you, you, then, then, you know, people do forget about you. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah, I mean, you got involved with some quite big projects as well. I mean, working with Hart and MC5 and Nancy Sinatra. I mean, that must have been pretty cool. <laughs> I, how different are those bands? From Guns N' Roses to Hart to MC5 to Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> people well, that's think, right. you know, that, that doesn't sound right. But the reality is, in all those bands, I played the same Les Paul, the same Marshall and Vox amplifier, same volume, 
I really didn't change anything. You know, it's like, that's just kind of the way I've always been. It's like, I just, to me, that's all rock and roll. I can't say it's heavy metal, but it's rock and roll. And I've always been more of like a rock and roll kind of guy. And to me, those bands, there's a commonality in all those bands. Oh, mate, well, I mean, all those bands are great rock and roll. I mean, even Nancy Sinatra had a bit of rock and roll in there, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, it doesn't get any more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I mean, it must have been fun getting out on the road with all these different people and getting around the world. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that's what it really is about, you know. I mean, you know, as us musicians, I always say, you know, we, we don't get paid to play, you know, to perform. We, we get paid to travel. <laughs> we get paid to get on the plane, get off the plane to the getting the, you know, the van or the car between, that, that's the hard stuff, you know, playing, you know, music is a joy, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's, to me, is the dream of, you know, getting to do what you want to do and get paid for it, but it is, I mean, those are bonuses, you know, to be able to go to, you know, New Zealand and Australia, you know, Japan and uh, Buenos Aires and Berlin, you know, that's, that's the good stuff, that, that's the icing on the cake. Oh, man, that's magic. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to catch you 93 when you came down with Guns N' Roses, and it was absolutely epic. Um, but that was a very, very long time ago now. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. But, uh, you know, it's funny is that we, I, even though it was a long time ago, I still have some memories of that. Like, there are some certain things I remember. I actually came back to New Zealand and did uh, a, a, something with my solo band. We played at Guitar and Taranaki. Yeah. That's how to pronounce that. <laughs> and that was uh, really great because, you know, when we came through with Guns N' Roses, I really didn't get to spend much time there. You know, it's like, you know, I you know, saw it from a plane view and from a hotel. And, you know, it's beautiful. It's incredible. But I didn't really experience it. But when I came over with that, it was, wow, I really got to get the vibe of it, you know, and meet people and talk to people and, you know, travel a little. That's when you really get the vibe of the Oh, I'm glad that you enjoyed yourself down here. And um, uh, Guitar and Aki, I mean, it was, it was sad that that stopped because there was, I think, two years of it. And, dude, the, the people that yeah, came yeah, that through... Yeah, a long time ago. Man, time goes by fast, huh? <laughs> <laughs> It does, doesn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. So anyway, back onto this new album that you've just released, The Gospel Truth. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the writing and recording process? Yeah, so this record, I really had an idea of after making a, a few records before and working with a lot of people, I really wanted to make a record that really kind of describes who I am at this point in my life. You know, what, what is the music that I enjoy? What do I get joy from playing, singing, writing about? And I, I know it's, it's classic rock. You know, I really like classic rock music. I mean, I still listen to a Beatles album, you know, as, as much as I'll listen to a Slipknot record. You know, so I like classic rock. I listen to a lot of Rick Derringer, Joe Walsh, uh, Bad Company. That, that's, that was the direction I really wanted to go in. I wanted to keep it really clean, really punchy, just, just good rock. Not metal, just good old rock and roll. So I usually start with a riff. Sometimes I'm watching the basketball game and I'm standing up and I have a guitar on and I'm you know, playing guitar or sometimes I'm playing acoustic guitar. You know, you just come up with ideas and modern technology, you know, you have your phone, you can record you through your phone, your ideas, and then when you get with the guys, you know, you play some of the ideas and you kind of wait till the guys go, woo, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start jamming that riff a little bit. 
And I really do do it still the old school way of getting the guys in a room together and playing and seeing what feels good. You know, and to me, it's an emotional thing. If it feels good with the guys, then it's going to feel good on the record when we're done. Well, that's right. I mean, a lot of people uh, nowadays with the, the, the advent of technology do do a lot of the cut and paste thing or they send files and all that. I mean, but it just doesn't sound right. I mean, and, and when you get people in a group, in, in a room and all that sort of stuff, I mean, you capture a vibe as well. Like you talk about that emotional um, side to it. I mean, because that's what music's about, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you don't want to get... I mean, all artists are different. You know, it's like I don't want to get too you know, with it, you know, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to mean something. I wanted to be authentic. Um, I work hard on things like, you know, when you're listening to the song, you don't know what the next rhyme is going to be. Yeah. You know, you don't know what the next chord I'm going to hit. You know, that's the stuff, but in too much in music these days when people are singing, you know the words they're going to say before they even say it, because you've heard so much music. Well, I work hard on not doing that. Like, when the line comes up, it's not the line you thought it was going to be. Or it's not the word you thought it was going to be. You know, that's the stuff that's important to me. Oh, that's right. Um, so you were just talking a little bit about uh, being watching basketball and, and you'll be standing there playing guitar and all that sort of stuff. Um, sort of leads into the next question. How does the music come to you? I mean, how, how does it... Uh, do you hear it? Do you see it? Or is it a, um, something that you think? Um, how does the music come to you personally? me a lot of different ways um i like to, i always feel we're still learning you know i mean i like to feel like i'm still learning so i i observe you know it's like you never know sometimes it's you know you're watching a movie and they have you emotionally invested and that cues something you know um sometimes uh sometimes like i said you're watching a basketball game and like that you're just standing up playing guitar and you're finger went, went where we're supposed to, it wasn't supposed to go and you, you have a new lift. <laughs> yeah. To me, inspiration goes so many different places, you know, but you have to be tuned in to know. And I think, you know, most musicians go through our phases. Sometimes we're closed off to that. Sometimes we're not taking it in. I think, you know, when you're, you just have to be paying attention when you are taking it all in. And like I said, when I got in the process of this record, I was paying attention. You know, I made a conscious effort, you know, just to be inspired. I didn't just flick a switch. It just, you know, it just, I just kind of, you know, opened my, my mind, really. Oh, that's always really important. <laughs> Excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the band that you've been working with for this album? I understand you've got some fairly decent guests on there. Yeah, I, I think, well, one of the great things about making a solo record is you don't have to use the same bass player and the same drummer on every song. <laughs> I'm not offending anybody. I, I'm lucky that I have some very, very talented friends. You know, I can call Kenny Aronoff my friend. I can call Matt Starr my friend. I can call Nikki Six my friend. Stephen Perkins are my friend. These are all people that have been to my house. We've had dinner together. We've had drinks together. So that's what's great is I'm actually just calling my friend. You know, just going, hey, I'm making a record. I got this great song. Kenny, you're the guy. <laughs> you know, and, and Kenny comes over and he does it. You know, or like I said, Stephen Perkins is a great friend of mine and my family. You know, my wife, daughter, we all know him and his wonderful wife and son. So these are my friends. And it makes it easier because it's not just hiring them for a session. You know, it's hiring to come over and jam. And they know when they jam they're going to have fun. It's not like, oh, my God, I'm going to work. 
You know, yeah. they only do it if they want to. And that's what's great, is I really have some great people that, that join the forces. Oh, that, that's absolutely brilliant. So, what would be your um, favourite song or the song that you're most proud of on this album? Well, the good thing is, is it changes all the time. <laughs> like, if you ask me which one I'm most proud of and which one's my favourite, they're probably two different songs. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, a song like Rusted and Busted was a, a big surprise because it really wasn't much of a song when it started. And, and it really turned into something that became kind of a nice, unique song. Um, I also like Dangerous Sin a lot. I really love the guitar part, and I really like where the vocal was going with it, the lyrics. You know, that was something that really surprised me. So, but if you ask me this question next week, I'll, I'll have two different answers for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's absolutely brilliant. So, did you get to do a, an album release show or anything like that? I'm sorry, uh, well... We just did our first live show two weeks ago. We haven't played in over a year, uh, and we went. We had two shows in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. We had a, a, a charity event, and then we had a uh, just a, a open to the public event. It was socially distanced, uh, limited capacity, and that was the first time we played in a year. I mean, we've done a couple streaming events, but that's not in front of an audience. You know, that was just you know just the band guys and crew. Yeah. So that was really great to actually stand up in front of people and hear them clap again. I forgot what clapping sounds like. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the first time. We don't have uh, we don't have any other shows right now booked, but we do have stuff, you know, in the pipeline. Uh, I think like later in fall for us uh, going to happen. Oh, that's excellent. Mate. How was the reaction? I mean, it must have been pretty mind blowing. I, I know I went to a show in New Zealand uh, in September last year. And the the crowd reaction was just absolutely insane. The people were gagging for it, you know, they're just itching to get out and listen to some live music again. Well, that's the thing, is there's nothing like, you know, that instant feedback, good or bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's honesty, you know. It's like, you know, that's that's why we're doing it, you know. We need that. You know, we need that clapping. My My wife always laughs whenever I come home from, like, a long trip and stuff. She goes, all right, give me a couple of days before I start clapping for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Okay, well, I've only got a few moments left with you, so um, I've got one last question for you before we let you go, and that is um, sure. words of advice for young musicians. I'm sorry, say that one, one more time. That words of advice for young musicians. My best advice for young musicians is to be original. Be unique. Be yourself. I think it's okay if you have influences, like if you have two or three guitar players that really influence you, but don't be your influence. You know, you, you already have Steve Vai. We already have Joe Satriani. We need, a, we need someone new, you know? So I think originality is the most important thing. You know, try to stand out from the others. That's, I, to me, that's the most important thing. Oh, definitely. Hey, that's absolutely brilliant advice. Hey, thank you so much for your time today, Gilby. Absolutely pleasure talking to you.